0: Thank everyone uh, for coming, and I'm very pleased to be here with such a terrific audience. Um, uh, I'd like to keep this very much interactive, so if you have objections or agreements, disagreements, questions, please uh, feel free to um, interrupt. What I'm going to do today, uh, I'm going to start off by introducing you to the puzzle we are going to discuss today. Uh, Secondly, I am going to provide you with an attempt of critical analysis of the main concepts that are involved uh, in this puzzle. Uh, Finally, I will present you uh, with uh, some evidence uh, to show whether the claims of this puzzle are actually valid or not. And I won't bore you with too much evidence. I... um, uh, I just, uh, I'm just going to show you a little bit uh, that is going to kick off uh, discussion. And I'm going to conclude with some further remarks and thoughts. Uh, and uh, this is very much, in some sense, work in progress uh, because the topic is itself it's a new topic, uh, which we are all trying to get uh, to grasp with. Uh, so uh, I'm very much looking forward to the discussion at the end and to hear your uh, opinions. So uh, the puzzle. Um, Digital natives, participatory culture, or self-representation. Basically, uh, there is all this talk with growing diffusion of internet adoption and use, and the growing diffusion of uh, web 2.0 applications, such as uh, blogs, uh, websites, and social networking sites that have stimulated this debate, saying that uh, there is a new revolution taking place in which uh, social patterns are changing. A uh, new participatory culture is emerging. Uh, which will have an impact in uh, several social spheres from e-commerce to e-learning and uh, what I'm specifically interested in uh, civic engagement and uh, political participation. So um, what I would like to talk about today is, uh, first of all, are we using the right concepts? What do these concepts mean? Uh, Secondly, uh, the evidence, uh, does it back up what these concepts are supposed to express? And finally, uh, where do we go from here? So... I'm going to start off with the first concept, which is digital natives, something that uh, lots of you care about here. Um, it's a term which is probably more fashionable over this side of the pond, rather than Europe. And uh, is a term that uh, was uh, first used for the first time by Prensky in 2001. And Prensky yeah. defined digital natives as the first generation to grow up with the technology, where as result think and process information fundamentally differently from previous generations. Uh, so, I guess um, if you look at demographics, it would be uh, kids and teenagers and young, young people uh, up to the age of uh, 30, which leaves me borderline between the digital immigrants and uh, the digital um, natives. And um, why using this term? We could actually, there are lots of terms that are used out there, like uh, the millennials, uh, Generation Y, uh, the Google generation, everyone comes up with some fashionable term. Um, every once in a while, but I actually think that digital natives is uh, it's quite appropriate and it really grasps uh, what's it, what is going on. The implication of this uh, is Okay, first of all, I'd like to establish whether this idea of digital natives is backed up by empirical evidence. Uh, these young people, uh, we know, uh, from, you know um, from experience, from friends and from reading from newspapers, that these people really spend lots of their time using the Internet. But I, I would really like to try and uh, assess whether they really uh, use the tool in, in a different way and whether they process information in a different way. And once we've established that, if we can establish that, I'd like to move on and think about the social implications. First, is the internet enabling a new participatory culture? And secondly, um, does this participatory culture necessarily imply a participatory democracy? Or uh, third possibility, uh, is this just all about uh, self-representation? So I hope that these three themes will come out uh, during the talk. so we'll move on to the second concept, participatory culture. Uh, this is becoming a very fashionable term as well, uh, a catchphrase. Uh, there are some great books out there that I'm sure most of you are familiar with, for example, uh, Bankler's book and Jenkins' work. Uh, basically, the term relates to uh, Web 2.0. Uh, with Web uh, 1.0, let's call it, um, basically people were supposed to well, I don't know, they were supposed to check their email and um, exchange communications for work, mainly, uh, or you know, to make connections between people. With Web2.0, uh, there are all these capabilities and internet applications that have been developed uh, that are making um, a huge change in the way users use the internet. They're not just passively con- uh, consuming media content, but they're actually actively producing it. This is the capability that they have. and. Uh, I, I noticed that the first time I, I gave this talk a while back, uh, people were still not familiar at all uh, with some of, of these sites, like MySpace, Facebook, etc. Now that I give this talk, I realize that most of you know it all by heart and there is not probably much point in explaining what they're all about. And uh, so this probably tells me that over the past six months or one year, there's already, already been a huge uh, shift in, in social patterns. Even
1: I have a Facebook
0: Even, <laughs> <laughs> <Of course>. So, <laughs> so um, I'll just cover a few and, and talk about them. And uh, I'm, this is very much like a, a, a working in, in progress. So if you have more suggestions of what you think participatory culture is about, the tools of particip- participatory culture are, feel free to pre- raise your hand and, and add your thoughts. So uh, first of all, people think about social networking sites like MySpace, Facebook, LiveJournal, live journal, Meetup. Uh, Flickr, Second Life, and then there are some uh, country variations like, for example, uh, Bebo uh, in the UK and in some other countries, I'm sure there are some others. Uh, Social bookmarking sites like Delicious and Dig, Uh, again, I remember when I mentioned Delicious the first time, there were only a few people that used it and some people in the room didn't even know what it was all about and I guess uh, most of you probably use it on a daily basis uh, nowadays. Um, DiG uh, is a relatively new site that has come up, and all these sites allow you basically uh, to input your contact, your information on the web and have other people comment on it and share it. Uh, then we have commons-based peer production sites, such as, for example, Wikipedia, of course, and uh, I would add others like um, eBay and uh, all sorts of wikis that are set up for learning purposes uh, on a daily basis by uh, professors, by teaching assistants in schools, uh, and so on and so forth. And finally, blogs uh, and citizen journalism. Um, I don't know if you would put the two next to each other, but anyway, blogs, blogs, uh, and uh, has, has certainly facilitated the rise of citizen journalism. So, what all these um, applications have in common? First of all, autonomy. Uh, all these applications allow people to actually express their ideas and share ideas without actually having to go through intermediaries and uh, gatekeepers. Me, yes. Uh, well, I oh, I didn't add it. I I would. I would put it in uh, probably social networking sites, um, or maybe even commons-based peer production. I guess there are some of these uh, applications that don't fit neatly in one category uh, or the other.
1: Um, seems like that's important, right, that if it were just one thing, like yeah. if eBay were just a community of yeah, public work, or if it were yeah. just about buying and selling, but it's really Absolute, about the
2: yeah. overlapping yeah. that makes them yeah. interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, So the first one is the autonomy. Uh, Everyone is free to post whatever they want and comment on other people. The second is voluntary membership and shared interest. Uh, These are very interesting uh, processes because they are bottom-up processes that are completely spontaneous, They are not top-down. So people can decide their membership in whatever groups they want, uh, basically discuss with people that share their interests. And these memberships are not fixed. Uh, you can be a member of many, many different groups that you know overlap each other, and you can actually uh, exit your membership whenever you want. There is it's a very low cost. There are no um, basically it's much easier than in the offline world to negotiate uh, your identities and where you want to belong. So bottom-up community creation, many of these sites, it has been argued, contribute to the, uh, to the creation of uh, communities. Uh, I personally think that this is an empirical question, more than a normative one, and um, just saying that people, because people participate uh, on, I don't know, a discussion group on health issues or because they use the same uh, video game site. Uh, they it's debatable whether that is a real community or just people coming together uh, to actually carry out their interests. So that's another question that would be interesting to explore. And finally, the most fascinating thing is that all these sites and all these applications are self-governing and self-sustainable. And the reason they are so uh, is thanks to mechanisms of reputation and trust uh, that get built online. And I think this is the um, most fascinating uh, mechanism that is happening at the moment out there. Um, Basically, uh, it's quite interesting that even uh, though most of these sites have got a moderator, even if you look like a message board or uh, discussion forums, they've got moderators. Uh, I was following for a while after there was this debate on um, eating disorder sites uh, that were uh, basically sponsoring pro-anorexia. As a result, I followed uh, for a while um, as a lurker, um, a... um, an online forum on bulimia and what I noticed is that in spite uh, of the presence of a moderator, the moderator would intervene only in very extreme cases uh, to ban people. Otherwise the group would self-sustain itself, and when people were trying to free ride or actually act against uh, the the laws, let's say, of the community, the members would immediately uh, sanction the behaviour of these people and um, so that, you know, the side will continue working uh, merely on the basis of these unwritten laws. And I think this is probably something quite interesting about participatory culture because if this pattern gets translated into other areas of social life, then we might actually be seeing some, um, some interesting changes from uh, commerce and business models and that sort of thing. Uh, so that's the first concept. The second concept, uh, it's um, a bit more uh, interesting and uh, problematic. Basically, um, it is argued that this participatory culture is probably already here or is starting to take place. Uh, The next step uh, is that that this participatory culture uh, will become translating into a participatory democracy. And, uh, and I think here we could just spend an hour talking just about this. Uh, what do we mean by uh, participatory democracy? If we operationalize the concept and try to see a, uh, the internet tools that actually make up a participatory democracy, we can think of uh, online forums or where people can post messages on message, message boards, e-petitions. There are many, many sites. For example, in the UK, there's been a huge debate about this recently uh, where people can actually suggest the petitions they they want government uh, to have a look at. And if they gather enough um, signatures, then this will get passed on to the public officials that allegedly will have something uh, to do about it. Uh, Viral emails, um, people just writing emails, uh, political activists, then spread them around, spread the message. And then e-government and e-voting. I put a question mark because I think, um, for example, I think here, when we talk about participatory democracy, we tend to conflate e-government with, with e-democracy uh, talks, whereas uh, in Europe, the two are very much kept separated. So e-government is about uh, ensuring the, um, the smooth functioning, functioning of government, like you can renew your driving license online or you can pay your tax online and all this sort of stuff. And also e-voting, I put a question mark, uh, because I think it's a, it's a debate, uh, which is completely a debate in itself, which is very much determined by... Um, top-down uh, factors, and it's kind of imposed on people, and then people will react to it with different attitudes. So um, something that I'd like to talk about later is the new forms of participation, because I think there are uh, some very interesting emerging forms of pol- political participation online, uh, which uh, we are only uh, just about start to study now. And um, I'll I'll show some examples later, but I'm thinking of uh, sites like YouTube and MySpace, um, which are providing these new tools which are quite different from just... uh, posting messages on message boards or sending out viral emails. For example, uh, you visit uh, the site or of uh, any presidential candidate or uh, any MP uh, in the UK or any politicians in Italy, and uh, you will find that they offer you the possibility of starting your own blog, uh, the possibility of actually taking part in, in discussions with uh, people that have shared your interests about the campaign, or you are even able to, um, I don't know, download widgets or download stickers that you might want to put on your website for people to see, or you can check out their section where they put their photos on Flickr or their videos. And um, and, and so the forms of participation are actually quite changing, and they are, I think they're becoming increasingly, um, basically, uh, more fragmented and much more difficult to keep track of. And uh, the more they become uh, fragmented, the more it's difficult for us to actually calculate their impact uh, on society. And uh, once we look at the tools, there are both normative and empirical questions. When we talk about participatory democracy, um, what is the idea we are striving for? Uh, Are we talking about direct democracy? Uh, Are we talking about uh, deliberative democracy? Are we talking about semiotic democracy uh or what happens to representative democracy? Is the internet supposed to um, is the internet supposed to um uh, sorry
3: <laughs> well I'm just
0: letting go. um. No, I forgot what I was saying. Um, OK, representative democracy. I mean, I, I think uh, I get kind of suspicious with all this talk about uh, we want people to participate, but what kind of participation do we want from people? Uh, do we want, uh, what about representative democracy? What, what, what is the role of public officials in this, in this new state of play that we are trying to envision, our, this utopic vision of all these people participating online? And, uh, and, and all these questions also imply, in my opinion, some, some strong assumption of technological determinism. We expect uh, basically the technology to be this kind of magic tool. Just because the technology is there, all these magic changes will happen. But. Technology is made of actually people using them, so the technology could have, could have positive effects, could have negative effects, it can be used for good for, um, by different people. Different people might want to use it for different purposes, and it, obviously there is the usual question of power, uh, power of the users and power from the gatekeepers. So there are lo- this is a very, very complex matter, and um, so we could be talking about this for ages depending on which aspects we want to emphasize. And um, being a quantitative sociologist, the ones that interest me more are the empirical questions. That is, is this really happening? And how do we go about studying these changes? Are the research methods catching up? So what we usually use, for example, are surveys, we just go, people and we ask, oh, um, how do you use the internet, how often do you do this, did you do this last week, did you do this yesterday, and we try to uh, figure, uh, to build the behaviors and activities that they do online. Uh, However, um, thinking about the new emerging forms of participation I was talking about, maybe surveys are not the best tool to do that. Maybe we need kind of uh, tracking tools um, in order to see, like, we need the logs of what actually people are doing online, or we need experiments. Mm -hmm. So this is something that we need to be uh, thinking about. So the evidence. Um, I started off by just um, downloading some trends from the the site Alexa that some of you might be familiar with. And uh, the reason why I I picked, uh, you can actually choose five sites you want to compare, and you can decide if you want to compare them over a, uh, a over a period of one week, uh, three weeks, one month, six months, or one year. So this is actually the period of one year from May uh, 2006 to May to, May 2007, and it shows the daily traffic rank trends of these five uh, websites. And the reason why I showed these five um, Basically, Google is the third one. I think in first place, there is Yahoo, and the second one, I think, is MSN. Although It sounds weird, but there are those two. Uh, I, I picked uh, CNN just to show you how, um, while the, the popularity of YouTube, for example, has been uh, rising over time, and MySpace as well, and Facebook slowly is being... Um, Going up the ranks as well, the CNN taken as a site of information where people should find out about politics and blah 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 is actually being going steadily down um, over the over the past year, uh, which I think, in my opinion, already casts some doubts on notions of uh, participatory democracy at least. Um, one one word of caution is that. Um, For example, you can also look at these trends by looking at the number of pages uh, that people have viewed. And um, those trends show more or less the same trends as the the rank uh, position. These are, sorry.
4: CNN America or CNN International? which are two different products. You just... It's, one it's, one far inferior to the other.
0: CNN America.
4: Okay. America. No, I'm not surprised. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, well, it's... it's no, well, just, you say that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, um, okay, two things. One, um, these are aggregate um, trends, and I think if I'd shown the pages viewed, it would have been even more obvious. I mean, it tells you... Uh, that these sites are very popular, but you still know nothing about what people do on these sites. For example, YouTube, okay, is very, very popular, but there was an article uh, in The Times a few days ago, a few weeks ago, which said that only, well, I I don't know where they got the statistics from, but uh, only 1% of people that actually use YouTube Upload videos on YouTube, so the, the, like the, the vast majority of people that use youtube they are just looking at videos they are not actually um, uploading them um, so and again, there has been like a, a recent there have been a, a recent reports from uh, the Pew Internet in America Life project. one was on teens online and was looking at practices on mySpace to show uh, the proportions of people that actually uh, post messages and um, upload photos, post comments to other people or engage in discussions and uh, once you start to disaggregate the data, the, the, the picture that comes out is quite different and there are not only inequalities, uh, there are inequalities based, even between teens themselves, younger teens are more are less active than older teens and stuff like that. And one last thing regarding the CNN um, I, I did this for uh, Italy because I'm familiar with the political situation in Italy, being Italian and for the UK and um, I think it's very important to look at context. For example, in Britain, uh, bbc.co.uk is the main site where people go for news. So the biggest share of the market is with the BBC. If you go to Italy, um, there is an, an equivalent of CNN or BBC Co. So the, the lion's share of actually where people gather information are the two major uh, national newspapers. And what is even more interesting that there is this guy who was a comedian, uh, now turned uh, political satirist, who started a blog, and the blog is the most visited site where people actually turn to get information about politics and what's going on. And it started loads of campaigns. And so basically, you need to look at the context of what is disaggregated data and look at the context and I'm not just think in uh, US uh, centric um, terms, I guess. Um, So disaggregating data, this is work uh, that we've done uh, when I was at the Oxford Internet Institute. And um, this is data collected uh, from the Oxford Internet Survey 2005. These were surveys of uh, internet adoption and uh, use in Britain. We looked at both users and non-users of the internet. And we asked all sorts of questions. It was a pretty big survey. Uh, But today I have picked... Some indicators that I think um, would be useful for today 's discussion and i 've divided um, people into fourteen to thirty four year olds let 's assume those are the digital natives uh, people who are thirty four year old and older. Uh, the sample was from 14 year old and over and and then all people the old population and this is the significance and um, so if you go back to Prensky's definition, it was saying digital natives are people that process information in, in fundamentally different ways and look for information in fundamentally different ways. So first of all, we asked places of access. Do you access the internet in just one place or two places, three or more? And these are people that access the internet for three or more places. So it could be home, the library, school, other people's homes. Um, uh, cafes and all that sort of stuff. So, younger people are much more likely to access the internet in more places, or in three or more places, than older people, and the difference is significant. Um, so, it tells you that the technology is definitely more integrated into their everyday life. Uh, we ask people whether they, they have always on broadband connections, whether they treat them as a broadband connection. And you have to think this this was made in two thousand and five, so broadband was kind of a novelty at the point. So we ask people: Do you treat your broadband connection as always on, or do you treat it as a modem, meaning you know you don't have it in the background; you just switch it on in office if it was a modem connection? And again, uh, younger people are more likely to have uh, the broadband connection always on in the background. Uh, older people a bit less likely. The difference is not significant, but at least the, the, um, it's in the right direction. And multitasking is the main uh, characteristic of digital natives, I guess we ask. When you surf the internet, do you actually do other activities like talking on the phone or listening to the radio or watching TV um, or doing your homework, something like that. And again, the difference is significant. Uh, digital natives are much more likely, or let's say younger people are much more likely Uh, than uh, older people uh, to multitask while they use the internet. And this is another question that we were really interested in, go to the internet first. We asked people, when you're looking for information uh, about, um, we had for example, finding a book, booking a holiday, um, uh, finding the name of your MP, your politician. would you actually go to the internet first? Would you go to a book or a directory? Would you, go to, would you make a phone call or would you talk to people? And again, uh, this is very striking. Uh, half of younger people, almost half of younger people, are much more likely to turn to the internet first when they look for information uh, compared to uh, older people. And finally, access email or the internet via your mobile. Again, these differences are significant. Younger people are much more likely to uh, check their email or access internet via the mobile, sorry, cell phones, <laughs> uh, compared to older people. So I would say that on the basis of this, we, we, we can say that there is some evidence that digital natives are actually, a, the concept of digital natives is a sound concept, which certainly needs to be um, studied more uh, in depth. Um, We then move on to ask people whether uh, they've made uh, new online friends uh, while they were online, whether they keep a blog, whether they read blogs, um, whether they post messages on message boards, uh, post photos and have websites. Uh, So again, younger people are much more likely to make new friends online. Uh, They are a little bit more likely to be, sorry, they are more likely to keep blogs. But what I think is interesting, they are slightly more likely to read blogs, but the difference is not significant. So um, I think I would take all these indicators of participatory culture, and I think this is quite telling. People keep blogs, but then they don't read them very much. So doesn't mean that there are lots of people searching lots of blogs. Uh, like statistics show there are loads of blogs that are created every day, but the point creating a blog is the easy part but then sustaining it over time uh it's it's what matters and actually uh get people that actually read your blog and get to comment on it and i think this kind of points towards the fact that uh well the two things are quite not there yet and posting messages on message boards younger people again much more likely than older people posting photos the same thing Uh, much more likely. And having a website, uh, there isn't much difference between the age groups, which probably means that websites are kind of passe, or everyone takes them for granted, and blogs are the new thing. So I would say on the basis of this, there is some evidence that there is some sort of participatory culture out there, um, and, and also that digital natives are probably leading the revolution. Last but not least, is there a participatory democracy? I know these two indicators are certainly not enough to settle um, uh, the argument, but we ask people whether they use the internet for uh, looking for political information online. Younger people were much more likely than older people uh, to look for political information online, but I would see this uh, just as part of the fact that they definitely they look for political information online anyway. Uh, when we ask about contacting their politicians via email uh, or via the internet, older people are much more likely to do it. Uh, than younger people. So considering that younger people offline are the ones that are more disengaged, are the more apathetic, they have the lowest levels of trust in politicians, they don't see the relevance of what politicians say uh, to their everyday lives, maybe we must try and uh, discover what are actually the internet tools that allow younger people to become more engaged. So, to conclude after this i 'll go to the conclusions i, I don 't think I have the time to show you these videos but um, um, i do <laughs> it's uh, i basically um,
3: First one, the Hillary yeah, the, uh, Hillary. I know. think you
0: all know it, so I don't. I don't need to show that. Well, th- these two examples. I, I just wanted to say regarding the emerging forms of political participation I was talking about earlier. So YouTube is being used both by politicians to publicize themselves and is used by people to actually. Um, How <laughs> do no, I say this in a polite way? <laughs> <laughs> to. Um, to say what they think about politicians. So you can find anti-politicians video, you can find pro-politicians video, and you can find video by politicians. The Hillary uh, video, you're all familiar with it. The Tony Blair video, <laughs> it's very funny, but it's quite long, it's like five minutes long. So I guess you could go and, um, and, um, and see it. Oops, some other time, I'm a digital immigrant, see. Uh. Okay. I just wanted to show uh, the. This is the web page of the, the Labour Party. So the Labour Party as. Oh, sh- Sorry, that's not the video. That's the video of that Tony Blair uh, gave his farewell um, speech. Uh, but what I wanted to show about this this web page, if I can scroll down, is that okay. Labour has uploaded. Um, oh, they've taken it down.
1: 46? 46.
0: Aha. How interesting. Until yesterday, <laughs> there was a video. Uh, well, I'm see all 45 videos. There was a video uh, that Tony Blair made for Comic Relief. I don't know if you know what Comic Relief is. Is, um is basically uh, once a year the BBC organizes this um, uh, evening of uh, basically comic relief where they invite famous people, politicians, singers, actors, to actually um, you know, make a fool of themselves and, and they basically raise money uh, fundraising for different causes, disability and children, and stuff like that. And uh the most viewed video, which now I can't find. There's still, <laughs> more,
1: there's still more papers. There's still more well, pages. A but page, it, was, it, was, it was most,
4: most, most viewed.
0: So it should come out first. And if it's not there, they've taken it down. <laughs> <laughs> it's not there.
2: <laughs>
3: this is very
0: interesting. Well, until yesterday, the, the most viewed video, in, and probably that's why it's gone down, uh, in the Labour website, was this uh, really funny uh, video of Tony Blair um, uh, with, um, with a famous uh, English um, comedian uh, playing basically a funny sketch. And that had, like, in a few days, almost half a million views, and that was the most uh, uh, most-seen video in the Labour Web Party website. Maybe it's still there somewhere. I can't find it, but until yesterday, it was just there. What, I, what I'm trying to say is that um, um, basically, does that count as participatory democracy? I mean, uh, if it is enough for young people to see uh, Tony Blair acting in a funny video, which is really funny, and that brings them... Does that bring them closer to... Uh, Politics. What do we mean by political participation? Is it just being aware of what is going on out there? So these are all different questions um, that need to be addressed. And uh, you found it. It's still
1: up there. It may where, not be under the. Where did you find it? I just it? googled it.
0: Oh, you googled
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Comic, That's buddy. the
0: one. Yeah, it's like five minutes long, though. I don't know. short <coughs> at the end? Okay.
1: Six hundred and forty-three thousand views.
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, which is much more than the others that receive like a thousand views because I, I think they see them as very boring and probably some of them are and uh, so that's one question and the other question which puzzles me another thing that puzzles me is for this MySpace site uh, I don't know if you are familiar with it MySpace has opened this, uh, this site where they uh, put together all these uh, presidential candidates and other candidates and then you can actually um, click on them and um, and basically you end up in Hillary's Clinton site and, and you can actually befriend her. She's got how many friends? She's got... She's got 70,000 friends, so that's quite a bit. And... Um, <laughs> Again, um, when this, this site came out, everyone was like, oh great, MySpace is, is, is finally getting into politics, this is fantastic, blah 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 blah, but my point is, what is the point of having this webpage? Is it just a showcase uh, for uh, all these politicians, to just go there, you click on them, it's just like one extra site where they can tell you about themselves, and what does it really mean to actually befriend them? Um, you know, I, I'd love to hear your opinions on this, because I'm a bit baffled, uh, to be to be fair. And um, again, so finally to conclude, um, things that I'd like to discuss. I'm um, sorry. Uh, okay, so at the end of all this, we've seen some evidence. Evidence is. Um, There is some evidence which suggests that there is something going on there. Um, Some other evidence that makes you think, well, actually, this is just self-representation. And when I mean self-representation, it's self-representation on the side of politicians. It's self-representation on the side of the kids. I don't know maybe I'm being unfair there are some people that have taken it even further this is Andrew King guy is a British guy but I think he works in America who's just come out with a book um, which is not out yet but I uh, is already making uh, already becoming quite famous where he talks about digital nar- narcissism and he says well actually all this is just digital narcissism it's just people uh, talking to themselves and um, what's participatory about that actually there is nothing and I think uh, his argument is actually deeper than that even if even though I haven't read the book, he actually questions the role of big corporations and business, uh, and I think he implies that they always have the upper hand at the end of the day. Maybe it's too early to say, maybe we are just seeing the marginal effects so far. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned before the last uh, Pew Internet project, uh, Pew Internet uh, report that has come out just a few weeks ago. uh, They say that half of the American population is still offline uh, or not very well connected, and uh, within the 30% of um, um, elite tech users, only 8% are the omnivores, did you say omnivores? Mm -hmm. And they are mainly in their twenties. So again, that might be evidence of digital natives, whether they are leading the revolution, we don't know. We have to wait uh, uh, five, 10 more years and see what happens. And for the marginal effects, are they enough? Maybe those marginal effects uh, um, are are fine as they are, but then don't we need to reach like a tipping point where it becomes spread uh, to the old population? And as I was saying earlier, we need new research methods to capture emerging forms of online political participation. Because again, I don't know how you study um, all these people posting to political website their comments in different websites, uh, their message boards in, again, different sites. and. Uh, It's it's all very complicated to capture. It's behavior and activities that are very, very difficult to study, and so it's very difficult to measure the impact. Uh, I mentioned again the comparative perspective and the importance of context. Um, I was talking about the UK, Italy, and again the US. Uh, Top-down versus bottom-up factors. Um, So it's uh, it's very nice to think that people have their um, you know they've got the power, uh, but then. You know, this is a long-term debate in sociology, not just regarding the internet. People make choices, but under circumstances, not of their own choosing. So we must take in consideration top-down factors as well. And uh, we need to disaggregate activities and behavior and exactly what people do on social networking sites. YouTube is very popular, but what do people do on YouTube? And who are the people that do it? And for for what reason and for what purpose? And and, uh, probably a good starting point would be to look at lurkers versus active content producers. Lurkers are the people that just look, they read, uh, they read online uh, forums. Uh, they read messages, but they never post. And lurkers is already, have already been seen. Have always been seen uh, with a negative connotation. I think that personally. It's not necessarily so. The fact that they are already looking is better than not looking at all. But this is, again, another question that uh, needs to be investigated. And finally, life cycle versus generation effects. Uh, We found uh, with our surveys in Britain, uh, both in 2003 and 2005, that the major use of the Internet was for entertainment. And entertainment means downloading music, downloading photos, uh, playing video games, and that sort of stuff. Um, So... Basically, given that the first use is entertainment, um, well, we need to find out these digital natives, they are using the internet like this now that they are in their teens. But uh, once they grow up, will they take their habits um, with them? Or you know, will they change them and move them into other social spheres? Um, there are all questions that we cannot answer until you know, we wait a couple of years and we keep tracking what's going on. <laughs> So, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. <laughs> Thank you.
4: <laughs> disproportionate amount of time online. I think uh, one of the factors is the luxury of being a minor or being in college or being home and not having to work for a living and not having to raise kids or not have to take responsibilities or elder care or whatever adults do. And I know plenty of adults who are online and would be delighted to be online a lot longer, but they just do not have that luxury. The part of the joys of childhood is that Mm -hmm. the time to play. Um, Also, when you were talking about, uh, I think, I was just going to say, uh, it'll come to back to me. But I, that, I was just thinking that in terms of that being, you know, the participation, and when I think of my other point, I'll, I'll mention it as well.
0: So you're saying that it's mainly a matter of time. These mm-hmm. people have got lots of time on their oh, hands. Oh, hands. also,
4: also <laughs> regarding you, you said YouTube. I happen to be a lurker. Mm-hmm. I've never.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: I think it's fantastic because my, my TV watching has, has. Plummeted yeah. YouTube watching yes. is gone up through the roof. Yeah. I'm endlessly entertained because I have this wonderful thing It's like my TiVo. Yeah, I get to determine what I want yeah. to watch and how much and how many times I want to watch yeah. it in a row and It's and some of the things I find, you know If I happen to like a, a like this a great Chilean band from 2005 We had a live concert and they have it online. La ley, Mentira. Oh great. You know, I can go online I don't have to care That If the United States doesn't want to carry it, so what? I can can find my own content. So I think that's a contributing factor, too, in terms of which led to the VCRs, which led to the DVRs, the PVRs, and TiVo. And People want to have more control over the free time that they do have.
0: I think you um, you just identified two of the main trends that have been... Now, they're taken like, as established res- research finding. especially, um, you know, when uh, internet diffusion started to grow, people started worrying, oh, people are going to spend all their time on the internet and they'll stop socialising with friends and family, and, you know... Uh, and the first studies actually showed that people were developing d- depression and isolation uh, with possibly dubious sampling sizes, etc. But um, following studies then shows that... Um, the, the one activity because obviously time must come from somewhere so the, the one activity where internet use detracts from is TV viewing uh, that's a very very strong established uh, research finding and uh, regarding uh, kids spending all their time on the internet uh, I'll be a bit careful about that because actually they, um, being teenagers uh, they, they have very strong parental regulation um, which tells them you can only spend a certain amount of time Online, because then you've got homework to do like two hours a day. And um, and probably, I don't know, what about internet surfing while you're at work? And um, so, uh, I'm <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> yeah. never. <laughs> it would increase
2: with the older population now that more folks are retiring and have the time to spend on the internet, especially, yeah. I think, you know. Uh, this is a generation that maybe has been introduced to computers via work Mm
5: -hmm.
0: and as
2: they retire you know are they going to stay online and uh, and start investigating what's out there
0: yeah Um, that's quite interesting Um, Well, two things Um, some research has shown that uh, basically um, some older people have actually taken up the internet, mainly because it helps them to keep in touch with kids and family, which are in other countries or far away, and, and that they are the most enthusiastic users just because of that. And there are lots of examples. Um, reading more recently this report by The Pew, for example, it shows that actually uh, the um, older generations are the ones that are more indifferent or antagonistic uh, to uh, internet use. Um, so I think it could play both ways. But I think you're talking maybe about younger people like in their 50s now. Mm-hmm. When, so it would be interesting, definitely, to trace how that translates um, when they get older, yeah.
5: Uh, this is such an important topic, so I wanted to thank you for, for bringing it up. I think we often do assume that any participation is good participation, mm-hmm. so I appreciate the skepticism at least not the skepticism, but investigating yeah, yeah. the reality of it. Um, I wanted to just ask about the, the kind of the definition of participatory democracy mm-hmm. that, that's out here, and um, suggesting that maybe the, to look for the, that people are going to directly participate in democracy just because it's a new medium. I don't know if that's kind of the way you would go at it if you took away the medium and said, you know, that, that the equivalent in offline terms would be that we're constantly out there on the streets every single day protesting, and we're not doing that. And I'm wondering if um, what we're seeing instead is this is an emergence of a new realm of civic engagement in civic society, and and kind of in um, Putnam's concept, more like a building block that you you can activate later for political power, but it itself is not um, necessarily any more political than the streets are political Mm -hmm. now. You always have to kind of have a movement or some kind of social action that then ca- gets people together, and that this is a new place where people can get together. But just because they're together doesn't automatically make them political, just like going to church mm-hmm. or being in the bowling league or whatever the mm-hmm. you know kind of offline civic world is um, doesn't automatically make you political either.
0: Yeah yeah very interesting so basically you're saying that like this um, let's call it oh, it's an awful name cyber civil society whatever <coughs> like that's created cyber civics or whatever it's it's people by participating in it people learn those skills that they might not use immediately but then when it be you know
5: or that they you might use it network uh the, the churches are a great example that, mm-hmm. that you know they themselves are not necessarily political some are but mm-hmm. that it becomes a mm-hmm. the, the fertile ground that yeah. you can kind of turn on and and, and activate for political purposes yeah. but they themselves are not yeah so it's part of the skills but also the relationships that then become the basis of yeah. of organizing
0: well, not to appear skeptical again uh, but um i've done um, work on on pannam's social capital theory, and what I found is um, by looking at political participate the relationship between civic engagement and political participation uh, in britain and what I found is um, that the situation is completely different than in the States, and the two are quite independent from each other, meaning that civic engagement in these sort of societies that you're talking about is one thing. Political participation is another. Political participation is very often determined by political factors um, and um, tactical voting, tactical thinking, uh, you know, how important the issues are, how close the candidates are in the race. And uh, for example, in Britain, you have very high civic engagement and very low political participation. Uh, whereas Patnam's claim in the states is that both have declined, um, so I I think it, while it's a very appealing um, you know mechanism, I think then again you need to keep lots of like factors in mind, like institutional factors and political factors, because it might not be as straightforward. But I can see your point completely.
6: Yeah. I'm wondering if there have been case studies which track. Uh, democratic practice to its end, which would be the creation of laws or policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, in all these cases of participatory or representative or deliberative, um, we imagine that at the end of the day, uh, some political action is taken. Mm-hmm. And so have, have there been any case studies that try to um, take these kinds of uh, <laughs> you know, boring down into see who's talking, who's doing. All... I, I guess I partly ask because I, I think often there seems to be a lot of chatter and often to the side. <clears throat> there seem to be congressmen funded by the entertainment industry who are doing something unrelated. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, you know, you could it could seem like there's a lot of participatory democracy, but in fact, what emerges from Congress is completely unrelated. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: So, are there case studies, or is somebody doing a case study? Uh,
0: I was talking to Josh earlier about this, actually, and uh, the only case studies I'm aware of is um, have been put together by Castells at, at Annenberg, um, where he's put together this book where he looks at uh, basically um, different cases like the Orange Revolution in the U- Ukraine or uh, elections in Thailand, the Philippines, uh, South Korea... Spain, Italy, where it tries to show where um, basically ICTs have had an impact offli- in the offline world, a tangible impact, have changed the regime or um, in the case of Italy, it didn't manage to change. Um, the, the, well, actually did manage, what am I talking about? It did manage to change, went to power. Uh, but in terms of policies that actually came out from that, like um, I actually can't think of any or I'm not aware of any.
6: Let me just follow up with one thing. I mean, the thing that was most striking to me in your list of uh, comparisons between natives and immigrants was the last item, which was that more older people contact, contact their, yeah. their MPs yeah. than younger then, people. Yeah. Um, and of course, it was a small number. But nonetheless, there's some place where you see somebody trying to engage with actual politicians. Mm-hmm. And um, But I often, I mean, I do this and then I wonder I don't get no letters back from <laughs> from my congressman. I wonder, you know, they have a they don't but, even need a waste basket to get rid of emails. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so again, I you know, what is the connection between uh all these forms of democracy an actual
0: Um, effect i would say probably very little i mean i was looking at the um italian political blogosphere over the election period so during just before the election up to the election all these blogs popped out of nowhere every politician had a blog super fantastic blogs um after the uh, elections there are two i think that are still active and are used on a daily basis all the other ones you go and check and they're all stopped in February whatever uh, and I think it's probably similar in the UK as well uh, so I, 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 I don't know again it's like it's like before you phone a radio program, or you wrote a letter and you didn't get any letter back now I probably you don't get many email back some emails back either but
3: Oh, I was, I was going to follow up on what Jean had to say, and that I've, I've been thinking about this in the context of the Internet and Democracy Project. And my reflection after about um, a week or so is that um, these, these kinds of technologies can change the nature of participation. In other words, it kind of casts that net that Putnam had of what uh, democratic participation is a little bit wider from not just the town hall meeting or like joining the Peace Corps, but, you know, putting up a YouTube video or this concept of semiotic democracy, Mm -hmm. altering some sort of thing. Um, But that doesn't necessarily hold a lot of promise for legislative change necessarily. And that's kind of what we're trying to figure out, how that really relates. Uh, Does that really change the the nature of the dynamic between government, you know, the economic sphere and, and civil society? There's an interesting concept I just wanted to throw out uh, by a theorist named Ned Rossiter, who talks about the difference between um, let's see, uh, the difference between network organizations and organized networks. He's kind of saying that these networks are now becoming the new players in this organ- in this kind of you know, distinction between politics and, and the kind of common ground that you don't necessarily have to join this, you know. Habitat for humanity and, and take part every day, but you can kind of have a more freelancing mm-hmm. version of what participation is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a re- pretty interesting distinction that mm-hmm. hasn't been explored very
2: mm-hmm. much.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um that yeah. maybe um, I also um I I I'm very much agree with um Jean's perspective that um I, I think social networks are a kind of they're they're latently political. Um, any kind of community is sort of latently political, and that regardless of its purpose or its focus, it can be switched on at times. Um, I think, though, that one thing that's really important is like what are what are we defining as political? Mm-hmm. Um, being involved in politics is not may not involve any electoral mm-hmm. participation. It may not involve any direct contact with elected representatives. Um, so you know, if you like. I think we you know if you see young people being using the internet to be involved in politics, it may take the sh- shape of, say, using a neighborhood blog to discuss um, assaults that took place in the neighborhood. Is like, I'm the my neighborhood's blog has recently discussed. Now there's a neighborhood watch that's forming. That's something that people found out about through the neighborhood blog community. It affects us locally. It's a political issue. People are getting the local alderman level people involved. I mean, I, I pay a lot more attention through the internet to my local politics. I pay very little attention, honestly, to, um, to national level politics. Like, that's just the sort of thing that makes my head hurt because it's like you're beating against a wall and you're beating against a wall. Um, and I think in terms of like long-term political change, we've, the the lesson of a lot of grassroots activism over the years has been, you don't you know, you don't just tell the leaders and they change. The change does not ever come down really. From the leadership, the change is pushed by the way the, the the grassroots is living and the way and percolates up, and then the leadership changes. So it's like, does it matter necessarily all that much? Is maybe if somebody's contacting their MP, maybe it's they figured out that actually their MP is not the locus of power for change. That the locus of power is something that is not being <clears> measured <throat> yet, and that's where they're working. If they're working in local communities, so it matters. Say who your college friends on Facebook are, and that you get them all to, to talk about an issue. It may not matter at all whether you go to the meeting with your
0: congressman. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think, I think we really need to rethink what we mean by political participation. Then on the other hand, traditional political scientists would say, oh my god, then you say everything is political. And uh, um, so it's, it's <laughs> yeah, you could say that there are, yeah, different views, and but definitely, yeah.
4: I well, basically was gonna ask you know similar question you know where do you draw the line between mm-hmm. uh, self-representation and, and participatory mm-hmm. culture just mm-hmm. like how do you define omnivores mm-hmm. and you know if you don't draw a very strict line it becomes extremely difficult to measure yeah. against each other and, yeah. you know how do you really measure and I think the movement from one to another is very slow and subdued yeah. and you know I don't think yeah. there is a line no,
0: no. I guess I mean, um, I think observing offline impact maybe um, that would kind of tell you if what's going on online actually is having some kind of social impacts but then uh, political but response, social impact in a year or Social exactly. impact in so exactly exactly I was gonna say that exactly it's very difficult to measure impact I mean it doesn't mean that we don't <clears> have <throat> to try it but yeah yeah absolutely yeah.
4: And also um, do you think the results would be similar in
0: US as in the UK Um, I think slightly, yes, they're pretty similar I think um, participation is probably a little bit higher in the US um, than it is in the UK but the trends are more or less the same yeah
5: Um, so I mean I I think one of the things that Lewis was raising is the question of um, what's the difference between participation and really and power, which is the ability to actually Mm -hmm. make the change, and I think even the word participation is kind of Loose. it's like well participating is participating but kind of the question from a grassroots perspective is how do you does that translate into the ability to make change and then I think there's a there's a way to flip this question around in another way that says well we can look at what are the grassroots doing mm-hmm. then we can also look at are the elites or whoever it was we're acting upon do they have the receptors out mm-hmm. and I think that's an interesting question is um, are they um, I mean they might give disproportionate a focus and attention to, um, you know, paper letters because whatever for whatever reason, and I, you know I wonder if there's there's some kind of <laughs> instead of studying what are the the grassroots doing in addition to that also studying what is it that people are become sensitive to, and I guess there is no right or wrong but maybe they're not su- sufficiently sensitive to new kinds of 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 organizing, and that they won't become sensitive to that until some, someone loses their seat or yeah. or whatever it is. But in the meantime they should be, maybe, more receptive to new ways of, of engaging with them.
0: Yeah. I guess when when one instance reaches the wider public, then I guess that's the tipping point uh, it becomes, yeah, widely acknowledged. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the difference between India and the US, but I take it a step further. And I realize your work as a Muslim but what would you expect this? question to be answered in other other countries. And And just one last, uh, you know, whether they should, the two should be mutually exclusive, so maybe some, through self-representation, one would be participating, you know, would be undertaking participatory culture. So that's my second point. Uh, Regarding uh, comparative trends, uh, I'm familiar with, um, well, in terms of internet diffusion, The U.S. is up there with northern countries, Scandinavia, blah, blah. Uh, The U.K. is is in the middle with, like, uh, central European countries. And then there are the southern Europeans and eastern Europeans, which are at the bottom. In terms of these specific trends, uh, I just know about the U.K. and America. They are quite similar. America is a bit higher than the U.K. And um, we, we, we do not know much about the other countries because hard data is very hard uh to get by. Um so um, so I I don't wanna say things I'm not sure of. So and the second question I didn't quite get I was wondering get. whether tools should be mutually exclusive by definition, like self representation and participatory culture. Whether they perhaps. should be or not. Yes. I mean perhaps they may not be mutually exclusive
4: throughout self representation not one would
0: be engaging in participatory culture. That's a very so. good point. Yes, that's a very good point. Yeah.
1: Just one to add on to your first question. I think the, the uh, definition of participatory democracy or participation, which is so tricky in a place that is as open, say, as the U.S., is much more tricky in places that are less open. Um, where, as a, as colleagues of uh, as our colleague Hoder once said of Iran, you know, blogging about sex or fashion is explicitly political. So I think it's, mm. th- that's a really that's interesting, true. as you get into kind of a research mode, yeah. and if you tried to do this comparatively across countries, and I think that the greatest questions in here are all about, the, are all definitional questions. Mm. And then when, if you come up with a you know, sort of a way that we're gonna define participation yeah. or what political information is, yeah. then we can begin to think about operationalizing mm-hmm. and doing this mm-hmm. as, as mm-hmm. research. Mm-hmm. But it seems very difficult, and yeah. I would imagine even a self-reported survey would be terrible because people say, why well, post on YouTube? But that's not political. But mm-hmm. if you're making fun exactly. of something, you know that exactly is like political. That. Yep. Or you're making some sort of sales. exactly. Exactly.
2: I'd also like to follow up on Maxine's point about self-representation. Um, I think self-representation is a key aspect of it personal empowerment, and personal empowerment is often a key factor in political empowerment. And so I I think often they end up being part of a spectrum. Yeah. You know, for especially for people who are you know. Um, adjusting to being part of a minority like you know the the internet is fantastic for queer kids you know first they get to be self-representational and then they become political sort of once they've reached that community level and acceptance and like great it's cool to be me now i want to make the rest of the world understand that i mean that's something that that i've observed quite a bit and i think that's you know particularly when you're looking at where digital natives are right now where a lot of them are also young and it's sort of like the first generation of digital natives a lot of people are going through that level of the adolescent type need, you know, need for that personal empowerment more so than perhaps they would be at a future stage of their own
0: lives. Yeah, uh, absolutely, and that's why um, I kept I kept it separate from digital nar- narcissism because I was thinking when I was doing this should I contrapose digital narcissism to participatory culture or self-representation. And that's why I, I kept the three terms here. And then I thought, well, actually, maybe self-representation because it, it applies more to political issues and power. And uh, and maybe, again, then digital narcissism is a third dimension that maybe that one is more, you know, contraposition than, yeah, absolutely.
6: Yeah. Uh, just one comment on um, this definitional business and then one observation about today's news. You know, you rightly separate out the normative and the empirical in terms of how to approach this stuff. But I wanted to say that um, I've been impressed with this book. Paul Starr in this country wrote a book uh, called The Creation of the Media. So it's a history of the media in the United States. But part of his thesis is that um, in the early uh, decades of the United States, um, the structure of the media followed from certain ideological assumptions about how democracy was supposed to work. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, the, the, the normative led the empirical. Um, so disaggregating these two is sometimes, you know, they overlap mm-hmm. in some in, in mm-hmm. some ways. And, and um, uh, so just as a kind of, I mean, we do this always, I think, I gather this is what they teach you in the first year of law school is to separate these two things. but. <laughs> Um, then the comment on today uh, the army has just announced that they're not going to let uh, soldiers use YouTube and mm-hmm. oh, yeah, yeah. Facebook.
0: Mostly, yeah. um
6: and I think the the running dog for this argument is that it takes too much bandwidth
3: um, <laughs> <laughs> which is
6: what the university came up but I mean it's, it's just to my mind the most striking political act mm-hmm. of uh, yeah. you know and, so, and now the empir- you know, now if you do empirical studies, uh, you have to have thought what the ideology was behind it.
0: Yeah. Well, then, well, that tells you also that's why you can't just look at the people and the people producing and stuff. You must look at the um, top-down factors that actually shape okay. this participation. Definitely. Yeah. I Do we have one forty-five. Last panel,
1: last board. All right. All right. Well, Thank, you. Thank you.